every time I mention the environment, my brother's like, aren't you going to fly? And I'm like, that's just not helping anyone. Because yes, I'm flying. And now what? Where are we going to go from here? Apart from in the sky? Like, what are we going to do with this situation? Hey, streamers and dreamers. My name is Kika Loma and you are listening to a new episode of The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, the 29th of June, and this is your weekly update on music, culture and what's next. Research shows that the music industry contributes significantly to the climate crisis, from the production of vinyl records to the carbon emission footprints of streaming services and live concerts. One prominent factor are DJs who tour internationally. And to be clear, that's not solely on the DJs, but the changing demands of the industry. Flying is the preferred mode of transport for DJs as they hop from one big city to the next. A climate report from 2021 examined the travel patterns of the top 1,000 touring DJs in resident advisors' list at the time and found that altogether they took more than 50,000 flights a year, essentially once a week for each DJ, which means one DJ flies as many as 80 average non-DJs together. can definitely relate. I care a lot about the climate, but it can be extremely hard to find a balance between my DJ career and my personal responsibility to the planet. And I am not alone in this, of course. Recently, a fellow DJ and previous guest on The Week has posted about this on her Instagram, and I am more than happy to have her with me in the studio today to talk about this. Welcome, Juva. How's it going? (laughs) So, hey, Kike, I don't know why my voice is dying. I haven't even been out this weekend. You know what? It gives it like a little like yeah, rustic, a bit, a you know, a bit of tone, a bit of bass, mm-hmm. quite yeah. sexy. But welcome, welcome. How are you? Mate, I'm all right. I'm alive and kicking. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got love my to nails see it. done. Long will it continue. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you posted on Instagram and what was the motivation behind it? You know, it's funny. I went to a climate um, sort of protest. It was Let's the Generation which is like the German version of like Extinction Rebellion, like a climate action group. Um, And they posted a, they had a protest about a month ago because the German government is essentially cracking down on climate activism and criminalising it, which I think is absolutely absurd. Um, Obviously, everyone has their opinions on their tactics, but I think the concept of like criminalising people who actually want us to protect the environment is just so counterproductive. So I'm really, really passionate about um, environmental issues. I have been since I was like a kid. Um, And I went to the March and I looked around and I was like, man, I really am the only, I mean, it wasn't like the the only thought, but I did notice that I was like the only black person or probably person of colour, bar maybe one or two people in a March of maybe around 500 people or so. Um, and it's just a constant sort of fact that I've always been aware of that like when it comes to environmentalism, it does feel very kind of monolithic, especially, especially I'm talking about in the West, of course, if I'm mm-hmm. if you're talking about in India or Nigeria, it's very different. But in the West and places like Berlin and London, which for all intents and purposes do have a level of diversity to them, they are very monolithic. Um, and so it just struck me as something that I was like, this is just a pattern that I'm quite tired of seeing. And I think also being, there, <laughs> I think people, um, <laughs> I think I might have hurt some feelings talking about the, the smell. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm joking. But I feel like there's just a very stereotypical image of climate justice, which I completely respect the people who actually do protest because it's not their fault how they might come across. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But 
I would love, I just wanted to see a bit more of a mix of people who just show that they care. Mm. What do you think is the reason behind, at least from your experience, mm. the lack of diversity in the climate um, protest scene, if you can call it that? I mean, you actually wrote, um, socially and culturally, I find that a lot of black people in London, at least, dismiss proactive climate activism as white people shit when it really isn't kind of like techno. Um, is there is there any reason you think there is behind that? And do you see actually any yeah. um, parallels with with electronic music in particular? I think there's two sides to it, and I always I'm I'm such a fan of like groups that especially groups that are inverted commas marginalised taking accountability for like their surroundings and and what affects them or how they exist in this world. So I think there's two sides. It's undeniable that climate activism has very much been led, especially in the West or in like places like Germany and the UK, by white people, which is I'm so I'm not I'm not it's not a problem that it, you know, white people leading it. These are countries that are full of white people. And also I'm not against anyone who cares. Um and also there's often a class divide as well. So usually it's like white people of a certain class who have the ability, the time, the exposure to really care about these sorts of things and just the the energy to give to it. I, you know, often you'll see in the UK, I remember like five years ago, there was a moment when um, Extinction Rebellion basically tried to like blockade a train that was going to work at like 6am. Mm-hmm. And like it was just full of a load of like working class people trying to get to work at a certain time which is obviously like an ungodly hour to be awake anyway and it just showed a certain disconnect between people who have the time to care Mm. and do care about the environment and people who don't so I think there's like often a class divide in terms of who has the the desire to but I'm also not like an inherently middle class posh person and I have taken the accountability to care because I see the world around me and I see that there's an issue so I think on a macro scale that can happen but on an individual scale I do think there's a level of personal responsibility and speaking about the colour thing I guess um, for my own experience growing up in a Nigerian household or just growing up around a lot of black people African people etc etc I think when I go to Nigeria people are inherently just more environmental just because of their their inability to have such a, a massive carbon sort of footprint anyway because of the lack of I guess overly developed resources usage of like electricity and the way that we use it here but I do think that culture. I mean to be fair with Nigeria Nepa ne- I mean exactly you have no choice but to be env- an environmentalist <laughs> when you have no electricity for like half the day sometimes <laughs> but at the same time everyone's churning out f- um, pollution using generators you yeah, know so exactly. I feel like in- environmental consciousness is something that in a lot of our cultures as a Nigerian person it's kind of like Incidental. A lot of the time in Nigeria, people live off the land. They eat seasonally. They they live off the food that they have there, as opposed to importing things in. But at the same time, plastic bags and you know are just absolutely choking the, the water systems and stuff like that. Mm. And when people have the chance, they tear down land to build houses and um, sort of free land to build houses. So I think when that translates to like this part of the world, I think a lot of our our cultures don't inherently encourage conversations around that. And mm. then. Also, I, this is just my theories. I'm not actually like a scientist on this stuff, but I think a lot of time when you look at the, the communities who exist in Germany, uh, UK, and the economic sort of um, the, the, the gram- demographics as well, mm. a lot of the time when we come from our parents who migrated from Nigeria, from the Caribbean, whatever, they've come and they exist in these countries in, I guess, less privileged economic brackets. So I think it once again feeds into that cycle of like race and class where a lot of time my parents just haven't had the energy to sit down and think about recycling and buying more expensive products that are you know, eco-friendly mm. and then that plays into our communities as well. And like as we grow up, we don't necessarily think about that kind of stuff in the same way yeah. that your middle-class mum who's buying bio or you know, green, uh, what's bio in English now? Oh, bio, organic. Bio, yeah, organic. <laughs> Gosh, organic like products. Germany. Yeah, right. Oh, I've been there for too long. No, but they haven't, you know, they're not buying the products and s- seeding that mentality into their kids. Yeah. 
all my theory, but yeah. Yeah. Being so passionate about the climate crisis and definitely having an awareness about these situations and also about the dynamics that can influence who can be involved. Do you ever feel any moments of personal conflict with being a DJ, which usually requires so much travel um, versus, you know, our responsibility as inhabitants of this planet? 100%. I mean, I think all of us, as long as we exist on the grid, have a like a level of responsibility to bear in this situation. But of course, as a DJ... I constantly am racked with the guilt. That's why I spend most of my time trying to like, and it feels sometimes futile because like, for example, with Paris, yeah. I travel by coach there and back. I wanted to go by train, but actually coach was more convenient and also it's much cheaper to go by coach. But that's also because me as a DJ, I'm not like a massively touring DJ. So I have like a couple of international gigs, like say a month, but I'm not someone who's like going from France to Germany to LA to, uh, to like, I don't know, Melbourne to Lagos, like, within a month so I'm also aware that I am able to be a bit slow of my traveling and um, but then obviously sometimes when I'm sitting there on a 20-hour journey I'm like so like the amount of time I'm spending on this coach how much like fuel am I actually sp- saving because mm. with an hour flying versus like 20 hours on the ground like what's the difference and actually technically I still am saving a bit of like you know um a few emissions by going by coach but yeah it does um I, it does feel futile and, and I definitely do feel like there's a few contradictions in like my career choice mm. and sometimes I'm like if I care enough then maybe I should give up DJing because if you don't care enough about things and aren't willing to sacrifice things for for topics you're passionate about then do you care enough so there's always that conflict mm. for now <laughs> I'm still I'm here. DJ. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Lisbon next week so you know and I'm flying unfortunately but um and I also think like when it comes to DJing another thing I think there's a lot of focus based around like us flying I think that's yeah. the main thing that's really like used against us but Flying still does like um, represent about 2% of emissions in the globe. Like it actually is still a minimal amount. But also the reason it's a minimal amount in terms of emissions is because so few people fly in the world. Mm. So there's also that kind of trade-off. So I shouldn't necessarily beat myself up for getting on a flight. But also if we all got on flights the way I got on flights, then it would be an even bigger shit show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really interesting that you wrote from, and I quote, from my personal experience, I've also found that I often feel hesitant about being too vocal about my views because I fly a lot, work with big brands and essentially like nice things. But I think this sense of personal guilt is unproductive. And in the world we live in, it's nigh on impossible to live on the grid and not be a part of the problem. Um, Have you ever experienced personal blaming? And um, what is the problem in your eyes about judging and blaming individuals with, yeah. with their personal responsibility. 100%. And I've definitely had to change my tactic and try and like ch- like soften my tone because I think when you talk about the environment and you talk about the environment in a way that you know, makes it seem like the person you're talking to is in the wrong, their immediate response is to get defensive because we're all defensive about it. And also a lot of the time we're like, it's not my problem. I don't know what to do. I definitely have had those moments where I've kind of like um, felt the guilt. And even online when I'm sharing things, you know, just up oil, you know, like spraying oil, orange paint on Louis Vuitton or like clothing brands. I'm like, I'm going to share that. But I'm also aware that I did, I just did a campaign with Nike and Zalando. Yeah. Fast fashion. So I feel like I've definitely experienced a level of like, um, people putting the finger back at me with my siblings, like my brothers, we have a WhatsApp chat. Every time I mention the environment, my brother's like, aren't you going to fly? And I'm like, that's just not helping anyone. Cause yes, I'm flying. And now what? Where are we going to go from here, apart from in the sky? Like, what are we going to do with this situation? So I think that is that often is a tactic that people use to, like, silence. It's yeah. the same way. It's whatism. Whatism. What about this? What yeah, about exactly. That? It's yeah. like there's always tactics of silence debate, whether it's, like, white tears silencing a black woman talking about an experience or whether it's, like, someone... Um, 
is shouting you down for telling them that, hey, maybe you should think about like your meat consumption. Mm-hmm. Um and then using your flying or your like career as a as a means of like shutting you down as well. I think there's always going to be that push and pull. But I think also another thing that I've learned is that like as much as we can all take with personal responsibility and do what we can in our personal life. So whether that's not flying or eating less meat and being more conscious of where our food comes from or trying to eat more seasonally and more locally. The, the bigger issue is a governmental issue, which is why I respect the climate justice like I was going to say warriors. <laughs> the climate <laughs> activists, mean, they, are. they are so much because we can do what we want. But ultimately, us sucking on, you know, straws that are going to disintegrate into our drink, it's just not <laughs> going to make a difference that needs to be made unless the government just, like, make the change they have to. Yeah. Like, we saw during COVID how governments were just like, we're shutting the world down in two weeks because yeah. we have to. Yeah. I mean, from your perspective, and maybe on, like, a little bit of a more positive note, how do you think that climate activism could become more intersectional in every sense of the world? From where it's like a global intersection, uh, gender, race, class just from your perspective? I really want it to, and I don't necessarily have the answers, but I would love for just, I think when I posted my status, actually, or the story, I had a lot of people, black people in particular, talk to me and saying like, hey, I feel the same way, but I just never really know, have known what to do or how to engage with this. Um, I've never really felt like it appeals to me in that way, like in a mass scale. And yeah, I'm just at a bit of a loss and I take my own personal guilt as to not engaging enough, for not engaging enough. So I do think, how has it become more intersectional? I think people, in the same way that like, you know, with techno is what I said, you know, we, it's been very whitewashed. And I think black people have been re reclaiming techno and being like, yeah, we are actually part of this narrative. We have been part of this narrative. Built so it. Think, <laughs> yeah, we, like, it is ours in a way. Yeah. I say ours, is like not a, sort of a sense of possession, but like it came from black cultures, obviously in the USA, Detroit, Chicago. So I feel like there's a push and pull. I think as black people, as POC, whoever, I think we also should engage more and sh- like sort of conversate more about it and show that we care more because actually if more people talk about it who are black and not white essentially in this part of the world maybe it will galvanize more people to actually be like okay actually it's something that appeals to me and representation representation and like some people for example i haven't personally always needed to see someone like me in a certain position to do things hence why i probably go to these climate protests and i'm the only black person there but i do understand the importance of people having that representation and feeling like it's something that appeals to them and that can be done by seeing themselves in positions that I guess they never saw themselves in before. Mm-hmm. So I feel, and I do think that a lot of the time these climate activist groups, they do want to be more diverse and more representative. And I do actually think they do. They just don't know how to. Because also, how are you going to expect like a white middle class German or English person to know how to appeal to like a working class black person or Asian person without it being like a hugger hoodie David Cameron situation and being really fucking cringe, you know? So mm-hmm. like, I do think... They, there is a desire to engage more from what I've seen in those situations. And yeah. often I've had people apologising to me preemptively about the fact there's not going to be any black people in this in this like conversation that I'm going to have with like a climate activist group. So I do think there's a desire to, but I just feel like there just needs to be a link created between our conversations that we have and the wider world of... Um, of like climate activism and I'm still looking for the answers because when I put out that story I don't really have any that many answers I just wanted to like have the conversations and I'm still wanting and waiting for to find some ways for us to combine I've also been trying to engage with like club commission in Berlin and see how we can use like the world of music to actually like be part of the the governmental lobbying Mm -hmm. so it's all well and good us, you know, not having plastic straws in our festivals, having vegan festivals, encouraging people to come to festivals by land. But how do we tap into that governmental, that 
higher level. Mm-hmm. On a policy level. On a policy level and the lobbying, like political lobbying, because that's where I feel like the change can happen. And that's why I always say I respect the climate activists because they might be going about it in a really controversial way, but they're at least trying to like reach politicians. So in terms of creating more intersectionality, I'd say I'd love for us within our communities, Black People POC, to have more vocal movements around it and there are people who definitely speak out for sure but also in real life as well Mm. i know there's a collective in berlin called black earth collective which is like an environmental group that's premised um around or yeah focuses on poc and black people in berlin so i want to engage with them more i've missed some of their um group meetings but i do actually want to go there see what they're doing Mm -hmm. and see what it looks like when there's a climate activist group that's focused around poc And specifically in dance music, I mean, dance music generally is such a powerful cultural source. How do you think we as a scene um, in this industry can create change? Yeah, and this is one thing I'm still trying to think about. And I would love there to be a real push and movement within music in favour of like protecting our environment. In the same way we've done often with race or with uh gender identity with sexuality like we we are just an inherently activistic section of the world like you can't have club scenes or music without there being a level of engagement with pressing topics especially political Mm -hmm. or socio-political topics and I think we need to use that might that we have and the the awareness that we can create for in order to like drive attention to this issue right now everyone knows what's going on well not everyone but like we do know what's going on I don't think we even necessarily have to be in the awareness raising sort of section of the of the program i don't know if you were going to call it that but like i don't think we're in the awareness raising moment yet i think we've gone past that to an extent i might be wrong i might be a bit i don't know too too deep in my own research to assume that everyone just knows what's going on um and that's why i've been trying to like interact with say the club commissioner say club commission hit me up if you're listening to this (laughs) um and just see what we can do on a wider scale because i think we've got the whole like lack of plastic straws down in our clubs like especially in like berlin's clubs there is a level of environmental awareness that I see, but it's often a bit more nuclear and a bit more myopic, I'd say. So mm-hmm. a lot of stuff within the clubs and like, I don't know, making sure that we turn the lights off in the clubs, stuff like that. But I still think that the music industry needs to push more outwards as opposed to like focusing inwards. I think the inward focus is great and there's so many conversations happening and there's so many movements and groups within our industry that really care. But how do we take that and like, reach out to the wider masses, the wider masses that engage with our music. Because a lot of people who go to festivals, whether it's Afro Nation, Wireless, Sonar, uh, Primavera, they're just normal people who aren't inherently um, sort of prioritising the environment in their day-to-day lives. So how do we engage with those people? Because like those people, those 10,000, 100,000 people who come to a festival can go out and have a wider impact with another set of people around them. And that multiplies to a million people. But as I say, I think the pressure on people has been too much. I think it's so important for us to all take responsibility, but I think it's also been like a a guise or like a scapegoat for people at a higher level to not have to make any changes. We've been we've been caring about the environment and eating like, you know, plastic free tuna for God knows how many years. But like Shell and Diesel knew about climate change in nineteen seventies and they didn't do anything about it. So I don't know. I'm just like, how can we as an industry really have like a bigger effect in a in a governmental level and a political level? How can we be re- be represented at these nonsense summits they do, but at least it's something where they talk about the same thing every year and make no real changes. Like, how can the music industry have its own voice in that? Mm. Okay, perfect. 
Thank you so much for coming in, Juba, having Thanks. this conversation with us. You've given us a lot of food for thought. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see what you'll get up to next in Pro. your climate activism. Mate, if you see me DJing for the inauguration of the Amazon building in Berlin, <laughs> just know they're paying me 100k <laughs> and I'll donate about 20% of that to some to just stop oil or something. I will hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll play an awful set as well. I'll play a protest set. <laughs> Actually, I was at a pole dancing class yesterday, quickly, sorry. And um, I heard this song and it's called Wet Ass Planet instead of Wet Ass P- yeah pussy yeah. Um, and it's basically using the same beat and it's like an environmental rap song which I think is really cool so Ooh. I might have to delve into the world of like environmental rap yes yes we love a protester I know I love that <laughs> yeah cool. thank you so much thanks ma'am. and now let's look into the other headlines this week Glastonbury recap so this past week Glastonbury festival happened From Wednesday until Sunday, about 200,000 people came to see performances by Lil Nas X, Lizzo, The Arctic Monkeys, Fred Again, Alt-J and countless others. The festival is huge, one of the biggest festivals in the world. That of course means a couple of viral moments came out of it and I will give you a quick rundown of them all. Firstly, Lana Del Rey played the last slot on the other stage on Saturday and arrived 30 minutes late to her show. She said she was late because, and I quote, her hair takes so long, which is something I can actually definitely relate to as my current hairstyle took five hours. <laughs> Anyways, her set was cut short because the festival has a midnight curfew. That means the power was cut, but she kept on going and asked the crowd to sing video games. Secondly, there was another heartwarming moment all over TikTok. Prior to his set at Glastonbury, singer Lewis Capaldi had talked about having Tourette syndrome and anxiety. At his set, you could see that he was affected by his tics and struggled to keep going. At one point, he even lost his voice and asked the crowd to keep going for him. And all I can say is they did not disappoint. And third, of course, there are rumours about the Arctic Monkeys maybe not being able to play their set because Alex Turner caught laryngitis. But they did end up playing. And as a huge Arctic Monkeys fan, I will definitely be re-watching the show. Pharrell Williams for Louis Vuitton. I was in Paris last week for Men's Fashion Week and there was a major debut. Pharrell Williams showed his first collection for Louis Vuitton and it was of course a celebrity showcase. Beyonce stopped by in the middle of her world tour, Jay-Z played the after party, Rihanna and ASAP Rocky also made an appearance. Zendaya was there with her former stylist Laura Roach and that's just a few examples of many. The show took place at Pont Neuf Bridge, which was completely closed off to the public. There was a gospel choir and a full orchestra. You get the picture. This show was probably the most anticipated of the entire season. You see, Pharrell Williams took over as the creative director of Louis Vuitton in February. That happened shortly after Virgil Abloh passed away, who was really a fashion icon. His time with Louis Vuitton was about innovation and black empowerment. He was one of the most influential fashion designers of his generation. So when Pharrell Williams took over, it sparked a discussion about the validity of his appointment, about what it takes to be the creative director of a fashion brand. Anyways, Pharrell paid tribute to Virgil Abloh. In a press release, he said that he was collaborating with his spirit and he got standing ovations for the show. Move your body 24-7. I think we all know what it feels like if your neighbours are having a party, the music is loud, you can't sleep and you end up thinking, well, it's just tonight, right? And we probably all know what it feels like to have a party at home. But what would you do if your neighbour was playing the same song 24-7? How many of you guys have a neighbour 
who plays the same song over and over and over 24-7 and won't stop. Well, that's some guy from Lima, Ohio, and his neighbor just won't stop listening to Marshall Jefferson's Move Your Body. Update. Still the same song. Day 25. Lima police won't do anything about it. Here we go again. This has been going on for a whole month now. So he turned to TikTok and his videos went viral. There are at least 10 videos where you can hear him complaining about his neighbor. And at some point he seems really exhausted. But to be honest, it is kind of funny. (laughs) He may currently be having a little break from Marshall Jefferson, as in the latest TikTok he posted, you can hear no music playing, but him thanking a couple of Lima police officers who made his neighbor stop, at least for now. God bless you guys. (laughs) This whole fiasco takes not being able to get a song out of your head to a whole new level. What song would you listen to 24-7? Grammy update. In 2024, the Grammys will have three new categories. Best Alternative Jazz Album, Best Pop Dance Recording, and Best African Music Performance. On social media, some people are wondering why new categories are being introduced at all, instead of simply letting those who really deserve it win in the existing categories. Legitimate questions are being asked about why there is one category for the African continent when there are no subsequent categories for North American music or European music. While the move may have been well-intentioned, it seems to me like in their rush to stay relevant, the Grammys have landed on a very tone-deaf solution. In other news from the Grammys, they outline new rules for the use of AI. Songs that include elements generated by AI can still be nominated, but there must be proof that a real person meaningfully contributed to the song. So still only humans can nominate their work but it shows that the music industry is preparing to face a future where AI plays a bigger role. Before I let you go, it's time for our weekly recommendation. And this week, we asked Berlin's own internet royalty, Die Hubsche, about their top three karaoke songs. Um, so, my name is Die Hübsche and my top three karaoke songs are I Stick With You by the Pussycat Dolls because I love to be a sad babe. Um, my second favorite song is Gebe Auf, Auf, by Lün. I just love this song. It's amazing. It's about everything. It's about starke, stolze, vietnamesische Lebefrau. And then the third song is um, The Little Mermaid, Part of Your World. Uh, because I always wanted to be part of this world, you know. Walk on the streets. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Die Hubscher, for these amazing karaoke recommendations. I have to say, Pussycat Dolls is definitely on my list, alongside American Boy by Estelle and Love in This Club by Usher. You can, of course, get started right away. You will find the link to a karaoke version of the Pussycat Dolls in the show notes. That's all for the week this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back here next Thursday. Take care, and until then, have a good week. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 